We often have a vision for the course of our lives, and yet a large or small chance occurrence or encounter or engagement with new ideas can change our lives forever. We have invited some fascinating people from all walks of life to tell us how they reacted and found meaning in the unexpected. I'm Roberta Panjwani, and this is A Bend in the Road. So I first heard about Florence Williams from a podcast when she was promoting her new book this season. And then, of course, I wanted to listen to other podcasts and then read all of her books. So I thought, why don't I just invite Florence to come on to our podcast, because I wanted you to meet her, too. Florence is a graduate of Yale University. She's a journalist, author, and podcaster. She's a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and a freelance writer for The New York Times, New York Times Magazine, National Geographic, The New York Review of Books, Slate, and many others. Florence's first book, Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History, received the Los Angeles Times Book Prize in Science and Technology and a 2013 Audi Award for General Nonfiction. It was also named a notable book of 2012 by the New York Times. Today we're going to talk mainly about the nature fix, why nature makes us happier, healthier, and more creative, which she wrote in 2017, and then her new book that was just published in February of 2022 is called Heartbreak, A Personal Scientific Journey. This is especially fitting for A Bend in the Road as it talks about a very significant change in Florence's life and her need to just write it down and share this experience with all of us. So I'm so happy to have with us today, Florence Williams. Thank you so much, Roberta. It's such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you having me on today. And, you know, I I had a bend in the road that was so big that I ended up uh, writing a book about it. (laughs) So (laughs) that is my, my latest book, Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey. And um, of course, the bend in the road was uh, my divorce which occurred after 25 years of marriage, very much thought my life was, you know, going along in one direction in a predictable manner. And, uh, you know, and then my marriage rather suddenly came apart at the seams and it it wasn't really my choice. And so it was definitely not something I was, uh, you know, expecting or anticipating. And it really, it it knocked me so off the ground. Uh, And then eventually became such a sort of lever for transformation um, that that was seemed you know worthy of a book topic. So that's what I You've described divorce or breakup in the past as a kind of pain bound to the expectation of even more pain and how rejection for humans can be experienced as a deeply evolved threat to our very survival. Can you describe for us that feeling, especially at the beginning of your breakup of your marriage when you had that feeling of being untethered? Yes. What happened after my marriage fell apart is that, uh, you know, I of course experienced, you know, the pain sort of in my psyche and emotionally, but I was also really surprised by how much my body registered the pain, uh, how my immune system even changed Uh, And how my nervous system went on such high alert, you know, I had trouble sleeping, I I wasn't, uh, you know, eating very well, was all these sort of classic symptoms of stress, very much associated, you know, with this emotional 
kind of event in my life. And so um, I, I set out to find out why, you know, why do our immune cells care about our kind of social state? Why do they care if we're feeling rejected or lonely? And that led me to, uh, you know, talk to a bunch of uh, neuroscientists, psychologists, immunogeneticists. I even had my own blood sampled uh, at various time points after the separation from my husband. Uh, and it was, it was this really fascinating journey about why our bodies do feel threatened if, you know, even just emotionally, we feel kind of abandoned. Our bodies interpret that in some ways as being a literal abandonment, literally left alone in the jungle to fend for ourselves surrounded by predators. And so we really change our, our genes change, our gene expression changes um, for how to deal with that kind of new threatened state. And it was really surprising, you know, these kind of hidden connections between our minds and our bodies that I wanted to highlight. So let's talk about The Nature Fix now. Such a wonderful book. It came out in 2017. And it's kind of interesting now to think about this book in terms of um, the pandemic and how many of us were able to spend a little bit more time outside during this. And you really build such a strong case for the importance of being outside for mind and body and just the importance of engaging all of the senses. And you have a famously generous definition of nature, which... uh, is uh, based on a quote from Oscar Wilde. I'd love you to tell us about that. And your coda, you have said in the past about nature, distilling what I learned, I came up with a kind of ultra simple coda. Go outside, often, sometimes in wild places, bring friends or not, and breathe. Yes, that was my coda. <laughs> and um, if, if there's one takeaway message you know, from the book, that's it. Go outside, go often. The uh, the Oscar Wilde definition that I really like is a very generous definition of nature, um, a place where birds fly around uncooked. <laughs> <laughs> because people ask me, well, what counts as nature? Does it have to be a national park? Does it have to be, you know, a city park? Does it have to be a mountaintop? No, it turns out, you know, we can derive these incredible mental and physical health benefits um, from, from even looking at photos of nature, but especially, you know, if we can hear bird song, you know, if there's some actual biodiversity around um, the benefits, you know, just increase. Exactly. When I was thinking about like, you grew up in Manhattan, right? In New York city. I did. Yeah. yeah. And then during that time, your father was an adventurer. So you, camp during the summers. Is that right? Yeah. So he, my parents were divorced and every summer my dad had custody and we would load up this van with canoes on the roof and we would just drive out West. (laughs) And then we would run these wilderness rivers, you know, where we would camp out for, you know, well, we would camp out every night, but on the wilderness rivers, we weren't even in campgrounds. We were just, you know, camping next to the water, (laughs) you know, for, for, you know, five or six or seven days at a time. And it was, it was, you know, a little bit confusing. It was a sort of whiplash. Like I was in the heart of New York city or I was in the heart of the wilderness. (laughs) And for a while I was like, this is confusing. I'm not sure where I, you know, identify, you know, myself more, but, but eventually I was like, you know what, I can do both. I like both. And that's, that's okay. Right. Right. So you described that human beings have a natural affinity for nature and living things because we as a species evolved outside. 
And before we came on, I was just chatting with Charles, our audio engineer, and I was asking about his 18-month-old Benjamin and and their first experiences over the last year and a half being outside. So I, I just wanted him to come on real quick and tell us about that. Uh, yeah, an 18-month-old uh, Benjamin, you know, bringing him outside for the first time now that it's starting to get nice out. And as he's more mobile and, and more adventurous and curious, starting to see how uh, his curiosities with, with nature and, and just the little things that we don't even, you know, remember even learning about our first experience outside, just seeing his hesitancies, just, you know, trying to figure out what grass is and the textures of grass and, and rocks and dirt and, 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 you know, preventing him from eating those things right now is, is a challenge. But uh, just, just seeing that, um, um, you know, his, his, his world just sort of expanding. Uh, and I'm a big lover of the outdoors, so I'm trying to get him, you know, equally as, uh, um, you know, in love of it as well. So, oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, babies—they really kind of wake up outside. They they can be really alert, really happy. They're looking at everything. You know, our 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 human brains did evolve to take in these elements of nature. And even as adults, we feel kind of more comfortable reading a natural landscape. You know, our brains, our perceptual systems evolve this way. So when we're looking at trees, looking at grass, hearing birdsong, our brains just even subconsciously go into this kind of comfortable zone, uh, as opposed to, you know, walking through an urban intersection where there's way too much stimulation coming in. And even though we can handle that, at the end of a day of, you know, walking through a city, you know, we feel kind of frazzled. We've worked so hard um, to filter out so much of that stimulation, you know, in order to just make it through the intersection, you know, where we can't process every smell, you know, every sound. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to filter that out. And and that's you know, one of the reasons why we get kind of tired and grumpy at the end of the day and don't really know why. And I know when you've talked about working with people, uh, you know, suffering depression or, or PTSD, right? Some veterans and just that experience, like how does that feed them the space and the time? It, it's not always immediate, Right. Right. Well, you know, for the book, I spent some time with veterans in the wilderness. Um, and, and for my next book, I spent time with um, sexual trafficking survivors on a backpacking trip. And in, in both cases, you know, there's there's serious PTSD, post-traumatic stress. Um, and the wilderness can be very, very helpful because, and I, it was so interesting to watch this, um, when you have post-traumatic stress, especially from combat, you know, but also from, from sexual trauma, you kind of shut down your senses. Um, things are too overstimulating. Um, you know, if you hear a, a, a book drop, it sounds like gunfire. Um, and so that, you know, the veterans sometimes have a hard time, you know, being in crowded spaces or even leaving their houses. But when they're outside in, in the wilderness, they want to hear the birds you know, they feel um, that that these um, that their senses can kind of waken in a very safe and gentle way, and so they start to actually open open up. They start to feel their bodies again. They start to sort of connect their emotions and their bodies again. Um, and this becomes a really important step in healing. And they report that they sleep better. You know, their um, their dreams are better. Their appetites are better. They're able to sort of bond socially. You know, in uh, a very natural way. Uh, it was it was really 
really inspiring to watch that. That's wonderful. You just wonder, like, people who um, who didn't grow up with this naturally, you know, parents are working or whatever their circumstances are, uh, it's almost like how, like how do we build that habit if it wasn't ingrained at such a young age? Um, you know, is, is there... Like, is there anything to, to sort of do if, if especially as you, you described, a, we're in the middle of a mass migration to the indoors right now. So we have yeah. that double whammy with technology and then the pandemic. So is there any way of kind of grabbing these young people, especially and getting them hooked on this nature fix? Yeah, I mean, I think the earlier, the better, you know, so, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, young Benjamin is off to a good start. <laughs> going outside <laughs> with his parents. Um, but it's, it's, it's really never too late. What, what it sometimes involves though, is starting very small. So, you know, just maybe having a snack outside or taking a work break outside. Sometimes it might be, um, you know, sitting on a park bench, you know, where you can hear some birds uh, and eventually spending a little more time. Sometimes it means, you know, going with friends or with a group of friends because that that's a place where you feel safe uh, and where you, if, if, if for teenagers and middle schoolers, especially they love, you know, going outside with friends, eating good snacks. Um, it's a great way to begin. And, uh, you know, eventually just feeling a little bit more comfortable there and then sort of recognizing, hopefully, you know, if we can put our phones down long enough, um, paying attention to how, we do feel better outside. And I think a lot of us had this experience during the pandemic, during lockdown, you know, when, when going outside was one of the few places we could actually feel safe. Um, and we could uh, really witness how it did help reduce our stress. There have been some really interesting studies that have come out of the lockdown period um, in the UK and in the United States, showing that people who had access to a garden or who could walk outside in green space um, showed not only reduced symptoms of anxiety and depression during lockdown, but also interestingly reduced symptoms of loneliness. So there's something about connecting even to trees and flowers that can be a surprising antidote to, you know, feelings of despair and loneliness and isolation. And the con connecting with nature helps us with our interpersonal connections as well, right? It's all, Yeah. It does. It can help us feel more connected. You know, there's a lot of science I talk about uh, actually in both books about the science of awe and the science of beauty and how when we experience awe and when we experience beauty, um, it makes us feel more connected to the world around us. It makes us feel like our own problems are a little bit less significant. Um, we feel more connected uh, to nature, but we also, it turns out, behave in a more pro-social way to each other. So we become less self-involved. We become more generous with other people after we've experienced right. beauty. Right. So in, in this way, you know, in experiencing nature is actually good for civilization. And that's not a way I think that we often, you know, frame it or think about it. And I, I had an art teacher in high school and she used to say, you have to look at things from literally different perspectives, you know, metaphor, metaphorically, but also literally. So she would have us like lie on the floor and look at this corner up on the balcony, you know, and then go upstairs and look, but like looking through the chair rails and all that type of thing. And it was cool so, art teacher. it was fantastic. She was Mrs. Garris. Yeah. She was amazing. And the same thing with nature. Like you talk about fractal patterns and all of these interesting things. It's very artistic and mathematic and just lying down under trees and looking at the patterns with 
the branches and the sun coming through. It's just, right, it's immersing all of the senses in different um, categories, right, of Yeah, there are studies showing that when we look at fractal patterns found in nature, and those are patterns that repeat at different scales, so often tree branches or um, you know, shorelines or clouds, different kinds of vegetation, um, that our brain waves change. This sort of frequency of our brain waves can shift and and uh, shift to a pattern that provides more relaxation, provides a sense of um, a state that's sort of both calm and also alert. Um, it's one of the reasons maybe why we like those screensavers <laughs> yeah, that kind of make us space out in a kind of happy way. Right. I, I love your writing style too. You, you got your um, MFA in literary nonfiction and I, I just, that's one of my favorite genres. And, and I think you were talking about your your writing style. It it became very personal, right? You were working in the in the writing in the first person, and for me, I'm not as much of a science person. But people like you can make people like me get excited about about science, yeah, and, and it's accessible. You. <laughs> and your humor, so like some of these uh, chapters, um, you know, water on the brain. Please pass the hacksaw. Uh, Garden of Eden. I mean, I want to, you know, I would want to read those <laughs> those chapters. So great, yeah, it must great. be great fun too, right? To to write this. It kind is of- funny, you know. It's it's. I get. I think one of the um, one of the great. Uh, well, one, something that you know. Some I, I think sometimes <laughs> good writing looks easier than it is. So it may look like it was fun to write, but you know, it, it there really is a lot of hard work that goes into. Um, humor, you know, because it, you don't want too much of it. It has to be kind of sprinkled in the right way. And the same with the first person, a little bit goes a long way. Um, and so there's a lot of thought that goes into kind of weaving a first person narration, um, but also really highlighting the science, highlighting other characters, making them seem like accessible, fun, you know, humans as well. Uh, and so I'd like to describe my characters and my scientists in such a way that people, my readers can relate to them. Right. I like to be sort of a guide to the science, but not get in the way of it too much. You know, the, this most recent book, Heartbreak, was obviously a little bit more personal than my other books. Um, but I think the general intention was the same, which is that I wanted to talk about the science. Uh, And kind of using my own story as a window into that um, was really my aim there. And you have such a sense of humility, too, in both books. But I remember when you were talking about um, heartache, I think, heartbreak with your your friends and family members, people would describe that. and, And you didn't, you know, didn't quite get it, like how, you know, it was like superfluous language or, you know, they had this visceral connection, but then or um, reaction, but then when you experience it yourself, you know, a light went all, off and, and you kind of understood all the different aspects of that kind of physical and mental, emotional suffering. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when my friends would, you know, break up with their boyfriends or whatever, I would be like, oh, what's the big deal? Obviously he was a loser, you know, get over it. Like what, you know, just move on. <laughs> don't be so, don't be so melodramatic. And then of course, when it happened to me, I was like, oh, wow, this, this really does hurt on so many levels. It's, you know, your self-concept is wrapped up in it, your identity, you know, your future sort of um, 
dreaming the life that you expected, all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from under you. And so for me, there was this deep state. And for many of us, I think a deep state of not, not just loss and grief, but also, you know, tremendous anxiety. Like, what does my life look like now? You know, how am I going to afford health insurance? You know, who's going to keep the dog and the cat? You know, (laughs) I mean, there's, there's so many, questions and so many things to solve, as well as the sort of deep identity crisis uh, and and that science of rejection and ostracization that we talked about where, you know, our physical bodies also feel like they're a threat. And so our immune systems respond in ways that, you know, made me sick and also make a lot of people sick. And in this way, I think, you know, we don't take heartbreak seriously enough. As one scientist said to me, heartbreak is one of the hidden landmines of human existence, because it can have these profound lingering psychological and physical effects on us, you know, if we don't kind of recover from it in good time. And it's amazing that you had researched and lived out um, the nature fix before this other experience happened, right? I kind of give you all of the, the tools and the mindset to literally go through your heartbreak. And have well, yeah, I thought that. that's what I thought. I thought, oh, okay. I know that nature is good for us. Nature does help cure so many, you know, problems. I'm going to just go big. I'm going to go big on nature. I'm going to do this like 30 day wilderness trip. And I was only partly right. I mean, nature did not cure my heartbreak, sadly. And that was kind of one of the great you know, disappointments. (laughs) And it was a narrative disappointment too, because it would have been made for a very sort of neat, you know, beginning, middle and end of my book, nature problem solved. Um, And of course that's not what happened. I still was, you know, pretty heartbroken after my wilderness trip. I still had a lot of, um, a lot of sort of things I needed to resolve. I needed to learn still how to be less afraid of the future. And I needed to learn how to say goodbye to this relationship. And so I had to, in fact, try many other interventions <laughs> and many other strategies. Um, nature alone wasn't enough. And now you're at a point, right? A couple of years later, you're at a point where, where you have a new rhythm in, in your in your living space, and your children are a bit older now, and yes. things are right. Things are kind of things are good. Yeah. It's, um, it's been five years now. And um, I feel honestly better than ever. I feel uh, like I have been on this incredible journey of self-discovery where I've had to learn kind of, you know, who I am outside of the context of this relationship that I'd had since I was 18 years old. I'd never really, you know, been alone uh, as an adult. And so there was much to learn. And, and, And of course, there was much to kind of be afraid of. But ultimately, I realized that I liked who I was and I liked discovering that person and I liked feeling my feelings. I think for a long time, I had been not looking so deeply inside my heart because it was easier sort of not to, you know, in a marriage that, you know, had some problems that I was maybe uh, finding it easier to ignore. And once I, once I really had no choice, but to sort of feel the pain you know, of the separation. Um, I also experienced some unexpected highs. I experienced joy. I experienced beauty and you can't really have one without the other. You know, once I was willing to kind of accept this emotional range that is part of our humanity, 
um, you know, I, I found that I liked it. I liked feeling my feelings. I liked talking about my feelings. I liked being vulnerable, which I hadn't really been before. I felt like I was a better friend. I felt like I was more empathetic. I felt like I was more there for the people in my life. Um, as many of them were there for me, not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, and so there are so many lessons in this heartbreak book, but you know, one of them is that ironically, you know, having our heart wounded can actually increase our capacity for love. Ultimately, um, you know, once we learn how to kind of come through the other side and, um, that was, that was a beautiful experience, honestly. And, and it's truly like part of your story. It was meant to be because you really, um, you give people the language, right? The terms like restoration and feeling untethered, like you've given us a language through your writing to express what we're all feeling in different ways. And I just feel like- And hopefully I've given people some tools as well, you know, to help get there because it's not easy. It's not easy to get over this heartbreak and it's not easy to sort of speed it up a little bit. But I I did find some, you know, science and evidence-based things that helped um, and and that made my immune system, fortunately, (laughs) you know, recover a bit. Oh, well, I just, I just thank you so much for these books. Um, like when I read them, like you really get a sense of you, the person and it's, it's, it's creative. It's, it's got the science behind it, but, um, like you said, it really gives you the tools and, and, um, creates empathy. So I, I just thank you so much for all of, all of what you've read and all of your wonderful interviews. It's, uh, you really are serving such an important person and bringing so much joy to all of us as well. Thank you so much, Roberta. And I am a huge fan of libraries. I'm a huge fan of the work you do. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm for so glad to hear that. Helping bring this work um, to your audience and your public. And speaking of books, is there um, any anything you'd like to, we have your books, of course, all of your books here at the, at the Ridgewood Library. Is there anything that you'd like to uh, encourage us to check out and, and, uh, and read? Oh. Well, thanks for asking. Um, you know, there's also an audiobook version of Heartbreak, well, of all my books, but I'm super proud of the Heartbreak one because it's pretty unusual. Um, we layered in a lot of actual voices from my recording. We layered in a lot of music. We layered in some natural song, natural, um, natural sounds uh, from the wilderness and elsewhere. So it feels like a very immersive sound experience. And people can learn more about that and more about me and more about my my writing and also retreats and things like that on my website, which is florencewilliams.com. Wonderful. We'll put all of that in the show notes for you. Again, Flores, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, we hope we'll be talking to you again soon. I hope so too. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to A Bend in the Road. We are so glad you stopped by. Please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. A Bend in the Road from the Ridgewood Public Library was made possible by a grant from the New Jersey Council for the Humanities, a state partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. A Bend in the Road is written, hosted, and produced by Roberta Ponjwani and created by Roberta Ponjwani and Diane Sims. Consulting for this episode, done by Diane Sims. Our assistant producer is me, Elias Rosner. Our technical directors and audio engineers are Charles Gallo and Elias Rosner. Our editor is Elias Rosner. Our digital media producer is Sabrina Garcia. Logo and website created by Parker Gatimus. Original music is written and performed by Diane Sims. Special thanks to our guest, Florence Williams. 
For more information about Florence Williams' books, podcasts, retreats, and more, please visit FlorenceWilliams.com. That's it for today. We hope that you enjoyed our show. We'll see you again after the next Bend in the Road. Thank you.